Yo fam, Coach Sam from Strong Gens Coaching, back with another episode for you guys. And on today's episode, I have a special guest for you. His name is Andrew. But before we start, gentlemen, if you could please leave a five-star review if you haven't already, I would greatly appreciate it. I'm trying to grow this podcast to reach as many men as possible, and I need your help. It takes a tribe, gentlemen. And last but not least, the man of the hour, Andrew. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Um, Give a little background for the people, uh, who you are and what you do. Thanks for having us, uh, Sammy. I'm coming all the way from Melbourne, Australia, so a long way away from uh, New Jersey. Um, yeah, so my background, I've worked in what you would call a high-pressure environment. Uh, it's in sales, or well, essentially a sales-orientated business of recruitment for a long time. Um, I owned my own company with another couple of guys for a large part of that. And I guess you and I are here talking because of my journey, uh, how it unfolded through all of that, which ultimately was successful, but then it started to change for me and my health started to change with that, which uh, led to a uh, day of reckoning, so to speak, uh, and realisation. And um, it's, you know, about how I flipped that around. Absolutely. I think people who are listening here in New Jersey are going to be surprised that uh, the people from down under get upset and sad because it always seems like you guys have the sun and are smiling down there. So, um, but you had a, uh, you have a new project going on called Stress Well, uh, correct? That's right. That's what it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stress Well. Um, essentially, the construct of that is, you know, stress is good for us. It helps us grow. We, we you know, a bit like what you're, very much like what you're doing, Sam, with your clients, you just... You're taking them to that point where they get uh, beyond um, comfortable. You know, you get repair and growth off the back of that, whether it be strength training or whatever it might be, con- conditioning. Um, and that's that construct is no different across our life. Full stop. Whether you know, whether it be fitness, whether it be learning. Um, you know, we, we're really living in a life which is fairly comfortable for a lot of us now. And uh, it's not necessarily great. So stress well is about really appreciating it and actually making it work for you. A lot of people, I think, don't really understand stress that deeply. I think when they hear the word stress, all they think is distress and all the bad stress. So I want you to bring it back to before you thought of stress well, just to give the listeners a little bit of an idea of, of where that idea stemmed from and what kind of state you were living in before implementing what you now teach in stress well so let's take it back uh before stress well you know what were you go- what was andrew going through then what were you going through and what clicked in your brain to say i can't do this anymore yeah good question long story uh well sorry not a long story but over a long period of time more so so when we owned our uh company, i'm not an owner of that company anymore i sold out but when we did own that um Back in 2007, just before the GFC, you know, life was pretty good for a lot of companies, a lot of people. And we were growing quite quickly. Um, I was managing 30 people or circa 30 people thereabout, thereabouts in Sydney. Um, but I guess not really putting in place some structures that I should have as a, as a business owner at MD. I could have done them better, put it that way. And so what I found is I was absolutely exhausted um, come sort of early 2007, April 2007. And we went and we decided to open an office in Singapore at that time. I was living in Sydney. And that was an opportunity to go away, keep stay involved in the business, grow a new office, our first international office, um, and essentially have a rest, so to speak. And I, I hadn't appreciated that time, you know, particularly around 04 to 07, those three years, just how much pressure I was putting on my body and mind. And so that, that was from a sort of metabolic exhaustion level. There's some psychological constructs in there as well because there's a lot of things going on, managing people and so on. But I went to Singapore thinking this will be the answer. Um, but I'd actually gone into burnout. So my system basically crashed um, and unbeknown to me, it was just completely um, 
you know, subconsciously working away at my nervous system. I was living in this sympathetic state uh, consistently. And so you think, okay, well, I'll go and do something like that in Singapore. It's, it's still pressure involved, but it's not as many people and it's a different type of pressure and so forth. Um, but what had happened is in burnout, you can either have workload, which causes the problem, or you can have these other constructs, which are not metabolic in nature, they're psychological in nature. And unbeknown to me, I'd actually start to become quite disengaged with the industry, the, my own business, um, and that was actually also burnout. And at the time, I didn't know it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still not in a great state, but you still just keep going on. And this went on for years. Um, and you're thinking of things in your life that will change. Oh, you know, we're going to look at a new business uh, or a new industry, for example, with my business partner. Um, that'll be the answer. Or you you look at other things that might be the answer. Uh, I studied my PT, so, um, you know, went and did some learning outside of what I'm doing, which was fantastic, by the way. Um, and I still use a lot of those principles now. But ultimately, I wasn't honouring what was going on in my uh, mind and body. And I hadn't recognised it. We're just, you know, meandering along and you're thinking, yeah, it's not right. And then it got it hit a point where... Um, uh, I actually finally realised that, yeah, I need to have a good, close, hard look at myself here, and uh, that's what I did. So, what were some? I uh, just want to clarify real quick for some of the listeners who may not know. When uh, Andrew's referring to like a sympathetic state, he means the fight or flight. Everybody knows what that means—the fight or flight, where you're just constantly wired. You don't have any downtime or rest. Um, so, for you, what was the what was the feeling you felt? Because a lot of men that are listening to this podcast, just a lot of men in general, they were in your shoes, you know, the business world, the corporate world, where you're just, you know, nose to the grindstone, which I think sometimes we need to do, but you, you're you like, you can enter into that nonstop loop of just constantly work, 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 never rest, which is what it sounds like you were caught up in. Uh, and I feel like a lot of men are in the same situation in, in years, decades, decades, and they never understand why they're breaking down. They're always sick. They're always tired. They're always frustrated and irritated. What were some of the main, I think it's a little different for everybody. What are some of the main symptoms uh, towards where you finally said, you know, I can't do this any, anymore. I need to make a change. What did you notice in your body and your mind um, that really affected you a lot in your everyday life? Just curious. Yeah, in my mind, uh, yeah, to a lot of con context switching. Um, you know, 2007, the iPhone wasn't even out, but I was exhausted. Come come 2021 is where I really realised, um, okay, I've got to take control of this and, and wow. make a big shift. Long time. A long time. Yeah, yeah. And it's going through different iterations and so forth. But And you're not aware of what you're going through. Because when we become highly stressed, we actually lose our self-awareness. Um, so that sort of all made sense to me when, when that happened. But um, mostly in my mind, I actually found my memory got worse as I went. Um, stress does definitely affect your memory. Um, there's a lot of content, context switching because the iPhone came out in 2009, I think. But it really took off 12, 13 when apps came out. And I was like everyone else, let's get sucked into that world. Um, that didn't help as well because you, you're not resting. That is not recovery. You might think it is when you go to lunch or, you know, you get on your way home on the train or even on your way to work or when, whenever you're using it. Um, we're still engaging in our sympathetic system predominantly when we're using those phones because uh, to focus, we need adrenaline. That's one of its functions. And... You know, I didn't know that. So I'm just constantly loading up, loading up. And so, you know, my mind was probably, um, yeah, it's getting pretty sketchy, to be honest. And that's when you start questioning a lot of things and so on. But one thing I realised when we kicked off uh, turning this all around is a lot of the answers are actually in your body. And that's, you know, body-mind connections, hugely important, body-mind-brain, Yeah. So mainly, mostly in my mind, I did find um, from a body perspective, tension um, was, you know, it was, it was there in my shoulders, particularly my shoulders for me. 
Um, at that point in time, I hadn't really fallen into breath, which I'm fully into now. So shallow breathing was there, but I didn't really realise it at the time. So there's another um, sign from the body, I guess. Um, it, at my worst, I had a twitch in my neck. Yeah. And I sort of knew that was obviously a sign, something wasn't right, but it would go away. You wouldn't honour it, so to speak. You wouldn't really stop and go, right, that that is telling me something. Now, what I know now is completely different. So I know, I know, um, you know what signs we're getting and I go, yeah, we've got to change that. And are you completely out of the corporate world now um, or are you still in partially, uh, you know, like running a, a business besides stress well um, or is or have you removed yourself from that world and pursued another venture because it was just too like, did you think you had to take yourself out of that environment completely or just part time? If I, if I could rewind the clock, I would have done a lot of things differently, as a lot of us would, obviously. Um no, it was more about how I managed myself. So to answer your question, I am still in that industry, but I'm helping my old business partner at the moment. Um, I'm honouring the fact that I'm not uh, hugely engaged in that industry still. I, I have some great moments. I have some moments where I go, yeah, I made the right decision. I sold out in end of 2018. Um but the, I guess, the predominant uh, piece of your question there is it's how we manage ourselves. It's not necessarily always going to be, oh, this, this sucks, I should get out of this industry, et cetera. Um, you know, there, there's that element of going, right, are you actually honouring your mind and body, uh, brain, relationship? Are you looking after yourself or are you just letting it happen to you? And so if I could rewind that plot, I could still be in this industry potentially. Um, but you'd be much more uh, grounded, you'd be, much more, you'd be rested and ready to go each day. Um, you'd be moving towards more engaging elements of that industry and letting the things, um, letting other people look after the things that don't engage you, they don't give you energy. So they're the things I would change, um, but I'm, I'm actually ultimately moving towards working and, and um in the in the wellness uh, high performance area, which allows people to go right. Let's let's take control here, and you could be someone who needs help, um, who's not feeling great, or you could be someone who's actually okay, but they're looking for an edge. Um, they they want to really take the next step in a high high performance element. That edge is going to give them the opportunity to manage higher pressure environments. Uh, with more evenness so yeah that's that's where it's moving towards and so all that led to what you have now is called stress well which we were talking about earlier and um, I kind of want to go through that and just you know your approach to helping people um, get out of that funk you know the people who are just constantly on overdrive like you said in that sympathetic state and uh, maybe some of the main pillars um, of stress well and how it benefits mm -hmm. people uh, just starting yeah. from the bottom, you know, what's it foundation on and then where does it go from there? Look, the foundation is education and awareness. Um, awareness look, people can take hold of awareness and education and, and use that as a, a flag in the ground, so to speak, and say, yeah, okay, so that means that means that. So let's, let's work with it um, for my own health. So it would start there, and that's where it started for me. So we're all different, um, obviously, but the foundation is in education to start with, and then it moves into practicalities. Um, so, you know, if I take it back to education, what's an education on? It's really understanding how uh, our body works, not all of it, so to speak, but uh, really how our physiology and psychology and so that psychophysiological relationship can be affected through how we look after our nervous system and that's predominantly um, our autonomic nervous system which has sympathetic parasympathetic uh, ends of that um, 
uh, nervous systems essentially. So you know, sympathetic, related stress, as, as you've already mentioned, fight and flight. Um, parasympathetic is where we get our rest and recovery. And, and as a principle, we always want more rest and recovery than stress. Stress is good, but it's only as good as the recovery you had with it. Um, so that that's a strong basis for stress well, the education piece, moving into that, um, and trying to find a, I guess, a, a state, I'd call it, where you can be rested but ready to go. You can move into high levels of pressure and stress, but you've done the work, you understand your body, um, you understand your mind a lot better. So you can live there a little bit longer, but then you're on a recovery. You come back into it, into recovery properly. Uh, and then as you go, you you can really develop a good practice for moving through life. Yeah. So in stress well, what what's a big um, pillar um, of training that you take people through uh, after the education, after they've uh, you've taught them more about the uh, nervous system. For the people who don't uh, or understand, the, the nervous system is your your brain, spinal cord, uh, your brain, brainstem, and spinal cord, and then all have, with the signals that it sends to the rest of the body. And then when you touch things or you experience things in the world, those send the information back through your nervous system, which is your nerves, all the way up to your brain, and then you make you know, uh, a summary about that and a, and a perspective about that. And you have different parts of your nervous system, like Andrew had said. Um, so what is something, uh, a pillar that you guys use after the education, a practical aspect to help the relationship between you said, like, I like that, um, getting better at going from stress the heck out to back to reset and from reset to dealing with stressors pretty quickly without the long-term effects of staying in chronic high stress? What, what's a, a practical thing that you teach people how to do that? So there's a couple of pillars, definitely some pillars to it um, beyond education. So th then you want to find out, okay, how, how, how can I do that is what you're, you're essentially asking. And that's, yeah, that's the territory we move into. Um, I started personally with breath. Um, and really understanding how our respiration system works uh, from a biomechanical perspective, biochemistry perspective. And once you know how that works, then you can overlay some practice um, into that, which helps you um, manage that nervous system. Um, so breath, breath, if used properly, can either upregulate us when we need energy and get into things, or it can help us downregulate, or as like the Navy SEALs would use in box breathing, it, it keeps a really good balance between rest and vigilance, rest and vigilance. So they're rested and ready. And that's why they use box breathing because it keeps them between parasympathetic calm and sympathetic alertness. Um, and they that's how they apply box breathing. That's where it came from. But um, but we can use all kinds of ways of breathing to help us manage down into that recovery state. So uh, that, that's a broad look at it, but it goes pretty deep because if I, you know, if I focus on the biomechanical side, how how we're breathing, if we're breathing through our mouth, there's you know there's a lot of people, what we'd say is over breathing, and they're tending to use their mouth. The mouth is generally associated with the top of the lungs, which is sort of, that is emergency form of breathing. So we were given nose hairs and turbinites. Um, we were able to, and those turbinites will let us humidify air as it comes in the nose. Now there, we can turn, um, we can reduce nitric oxide, which vasodilates our, um, you know, our, our respiratory system. So, and then also our circuitry system. They are all evolutionary clues that we should be breathing through our nose predominantly. You don't get any of those things through mouth. So our mouth is really emergency breathing. So that's one of the fundamentals. That's just an example of biomechanics. We get more pressure um, related to diaphragmatic breathing. It's another mechanical aspect through our nose and nasal breathing. Um, and the diaphragm is 
Yeah, that, that's huge. Uh, that is a huge muscle for all of us in our life. It is, it is enormous. It's, pro, it's up there as the most important muscle we have in our body. And so engaging diaphragmatic breathing um, is a big part of what we would look at as well. Because diaphragmatic breathing, using your diaphragm, really maximizes the efficiency of your lungs. If you're using your mouth, you're not really doing that, um, particularly if you're subconsciously using your mouth. Why that's important is because we produce more energy through aerobic energy production. So, you know, it spits out a lot more ATP outputs in the cell at a cellular level with oxygen. Um, and so it's really important we have efficiency in doing that. So your diaphragm is like a big engine. It's the engine of your body um, when, when it comes to energy and um, performance uh, and, and vitality. It's got a lot to do with that, amongst other things. Um, yeah, so we go, we go into the biomechanics, we go into biochemistry, and that's the relationship between the gas exchange of carbon dioxide and oxygen. Now, people think we need more oxygen. Generally speaking, we don't. We walk around every day with about 96, 97%. It's pretty normal. We can go in a lot of situations where it will stay at 96, 97%. So it's not necessarily oxygen. It's your relationship with carbon dioxide um, that really enhances your energy and maximum use of that oxygen. Um, there's a, um, I think he's from Denmark from memory, Christian Bohr. He came up with the Bohr effect. The Bohr effect is really that relationship between carbon dioxide and oxygen. And we can only use as much oxygen uh, in the body as we have if we have um, optimum levels of carbon dioxide. But if we have lower levels of carbon dioxide, over breathing, breathing through our mouth subconsciously, you won't be able to use all your oxygen, so you won't be able to produce much energy. It's just, it's just a first principle. Yeah, so so we go into that side of things, and there's different ways of doing that. Um, and um, and then there's, there's obviously sleep and how you're living and technologies playing into all of this. Um, how do you, how do you manage pressure? What's composure to you? All those sorts of things come into it. But the nuts and bolts. I start with breath. Throw in cold exposure. You have a podcast on cold exposure. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know, microdosing, uh, hormetic stresses come into it as well. So we can use it. We can do hormetic stresses with breath. We can do hormetic stress through heat. Hormetic stress through uh, um, cold exposure, and, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I love it all. Honestly. Um... That's fun fact. Not a lot of people know this. Um, I, I wrote a book on stress, actually. Um, it's so funny because a lot of what you're talking about is I wrote it about I wrote it in 2016, 17. It's called You're Not Stressed Enough. And it actually goes over the concept of hormesis, which is what Andrew is referring to right now. Um, a hormetic response for the people who are listening and don't know is when a stress is applied to you at a certain dose and it gives you a positive effect as opposed to a negative effect. Um, and any anything in our life for the most part, can be somewhat positively hormetic in nature. Not everything, but most things that you think of when you're trying to get healthy, like diet, exercise, like he said, sleep, breathing, um, those things were done with the right um, intensity at the right time, the right duration. They uh, produce positive effects on the body. Um, I have a question about the breathing because you touched upon it, you know, for a pretty good chunk of time. Um is because just because I've had experience with this and, and some clients, I take clients through some breathing sometimes, not as intensive as you do. Um, I don't have a lot of time at the end of the workouts, but I try and get in with some of them. And uh, I find that if they get so upset when they can't figure out how to breathe into their belly, like into their stomach, and mm -hmm. it's hard to teach. So what are some cues? Well, actually, first, do you find that people struggle with that new concept to them because they've been breathing wrong for a long time or not breathing efficiently for a long time. And do you have any tips for people to use to maybe help speed up that process of, of breathing properly? 
Yeah, good question because habit is huge in this. Over, you know, I think most people you're going to deal with it's probably been, I don't know, say they're 30 years old. You know, there's a lot of time that's gone by, even at that age, let alone 50 years old, uh, where your body is just subconsciously and habitually breathing a certain way. So, yeah, it, it takes a bit of neuroplasticity uh, and practice to build that in. Um, so physical practice, but also awareness is the other thing to catch yourself. Okay, what am I doing? And the more you practice, the more you catch yourself. Um, it's like anything. You've just got to put the time in and so forth. So what, what would I suggest in that situation? It's it's not really to overdo it. It's not turn around and say, hey, let's build a breath practice for half an hour a day and <laughs> you've got to practice this. The, the number one thing uh, from my perspective in breath is noticing. That, that's, you know, start to notice it more and more. Um, practice helps you do that. So, uh, yeah, I would put in place, depending on the person and what's going on, but I would put in place you know, maybe a, a five or ten minute exercise in the morning and one to close off the day as well. And... Then you overlay some breathing, um, you know, how you approach breathing in your exercise. So, for instance, if I, you know, we're going through this process of just putting in a five or 10 minute morning and night, and someone's off to see their personal trainer, they might be off to see you. So, I'm going to say, okay, so when you're with Sam, this is what you may want to practice. And we look at how can you, how much can you tolerate nasal breathing? whilst you're um, going through an exercise. And you might be on a strength session, which is a little easier. You might move them into some conditioning, some hip work, um, which obviously gets tougher. So we're going to call an anaerobic system. But if, if they can start to be more conscious of that and even get through part of that through nasal breathing um, and then apply the next gear up to, to breathe, that over time, you that's that's breath work. Like that's just you noticing and applying it. So it doesn't have to be pranayama morning and night, for example. Um, so it's certainly doesn't have to be Wim Hof. It doesn't have to be any of those particular modalities. It can just be about education, noticing, and application in different parts of your life. Yeah. I have a... Uh... He's not a coworker, but he's attached to the gym I work at. He's our neighbor, so he's our um, he he's very interesting cat. I like him a lot, and uh, he's been getting into breath work lately and cold exposure. And he actually uh, was talking about he's dived into Wim Hof, and um, I think he's that that guy's an interesting dude, Wim Hof. I actually took his course a long time ago, one of his breathing courses, short one. I think it was like a five day course, and. Uh, I, I definitely still to this day took some information from it. So I think um, the fact that you're doing the stress well stuff and huge education part is going to stick with people. Um, but I'm going to send this podcast over to the guy I work next to because he's going to he's going to love it. He's absolutely going to devour this whole thing. It'll be great. Yeah, yeah. We like Wim's. You know, he's taken the world by storm. Obviously, he's he's an amazing person um, as well as. You know, crazy guy. <laughs> but, uh, you, you know, what's worked for him um, with that style of breathing, which we would call superventilation or controlled hyperventilation, essentially. Um, and it really pumps you into that high sympathetic state initially. But then when you're in the breath hold stage, it's bringing you back into, you're trying to bring you back into parasympathetic state but um and it's like i do a bit of Wim Hof, but i don't do a lot of it um by any means probably once a quarter once every three months i might do a session um and and um my practice personally is around co2 tolerance whereas wim's uh, approach he's actually pushing out a lot of co2 um that makes sense. His body. co2 is our trigger for breathing that's why you can hold your breath for so long. Um, I'm actually um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm actually trying to get a higher level of CO2 in a lot of the practice I do under certain scenarios. <clears throat> so, so I am not triggered to breathe or I breathe uh, in a more functional way more off the top, if that makes sense. Yeah, that is, that's super interesting. So would you do like, um, I, I like the, I like the concept you're talking about just because I, I preach this all the time to people, you know, people see people working out on Instagram, these crazy, hardcore, intense workouts saying they work out six, seven days a week, twice a day, um, killing themselves. And I'm like, you guys, you don't need to do that. I'm like, you yeah. don't need an endurance athlete, you know, go for a 30 minute walk for at least four days a week, work out, you know, two to three, four times max a week, lift some weights um and, and enjoy your life and i like your approach because you're saying you don't need to be wim hof you don't need to do this crazy breath work for 30 minutes and then jump in cold exposure for 30 minutes and it doesn't have to be this huge routine you could do all those things but you can shorten it up and you can make it more of a lifestyle habit as opposed to a huge practice that takes away from from your life so i like that so i, I kind of want to jump on that um what do you recommend you know you recommended earlier five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night, maybe when you're working out. Um, what style should people, if people want to embark on this breathing journey, you know, what should that five minutes entail? Because five minutes isn't a lot of time. I think that's perfect. I love that you mentioned that. What's a good breathing technique someone could practice for that five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night so they can make it a part of their life without getting overwhelmed? Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, the simplest way to do it, you know, there's been some research on it, but ideally, if we're doing um, six breaths a minute, now that's uh, so for 10, you know, 10 seconds per breath that involves uh, inhalation, exhalation in that process, um, is really a, an ideal sort of timing, I, I guess, for our breath. Now, most of us breathe at about 15 breaths a minute not six. So we're, you know, and we're subconsciously doing a lot of things. We, you know, we're not really thinking about that, which we do about 20,000 a day, so I completely get it. Um, but if you can start with five minutes in the morning, um, consciously, you can, there's loads of apps out there, and I, I personally recommend four seconds on inhalation, six on exhalation. The six seconds or long exhalation points to engaging your parasympathetic um, nervous system more. Our heart rate slows down on XR. When we start to have that little micro dose of calm and then we inhale four, exhale six um, as a basic construct. Um, and then, you know, if you can do it lighter and lighter, the air coming and it's all through nasal. It's not through mouth. And because we can engage what evolutionary tools we were given, we can get used to it. We can get used to using our nose more than our mouth just by this five minutes a day. Um, and then at night, same thing, essentially. Um, and both of those, um, firstly, make you aware of nasal breathing. Uh, they get you used to um, starting to engage a diaphragm more doesn't have to be amazing or anything like that, but because of that pressure relationship, you'll start to do it. Ideally, you put your hand on your stomach and you'll just have your hand rise and your chest won't. You know your diaphragm's working there. Um, and as that progresses, we actually just do it lighter and lighter. So we, you know, we get you get to a point where you actually can't even feel um, the air coming in and out of your nose. Once you uh, more advanced or, or get used to it, I guess, essentially. And then that what that's doing is we call it air hunger. You'll feel a bit of air hunger. Um, and it's starting to build that CO2 very subtly, build that CO2 tolerance for you. But if you have anxiety, uh, you're quite, you know, particularly around anxiety, um, that can be challenging to do. So that's something you can do down the track. But those two, morning and night, that's the principles of them. Yeah. And then what that then does is through the middle of the day, you, you're grounded in that. You'll start to notice how much you're using your nose, how much you're using your mouth. What are the scenarios? What's the environment? Why am I doing that? Why, why have I shifted that? 
and, and ultimately the goal is to build diaphragmatic breathing and more composure. Amazing. I love it. Um, I wanted to ask you, along with the breathing work that you've done, uh, what else has benefited you from going from that just highly stressed out on the brink of just breakdown or breakdown um, uh, to, you know, more, you know, grounded in your life and in your business approach? Um, so what else tagged on with, the, <clears throat> excuse me, with the breathing that has allowed you to, you know, just restructure yourself, your life, your mind, your body. Uh, because I like your approach. It sounds like a more holistic approach. It's not this in your face, you know, uh, this is the only way. So uh sounds like you're a guy who likes to dabble in a few different areas <laughs> of health. So I'm, I'm curious, I want to know, you know, what do you exercise? You know, what's your sleep like? Um, what are your recommendations for people to tag on to the breathing? Yeah, I'm definitely a dabbler, uh, Sam, that's for sure. Um, so yeah, I built on that. I started with that and I was in a pretty low place when I started with breath. Um, I was working with a guy, fortunately, who's a, who's a breath coach and um, someone I really look up to when it comes to that. And he referred me to someone here and then I went through the stage, education, practice, application, <coughs> excuse me. And then, um, so that, that was good, really good platform. But what you do, Sammy, what you help people with, movement, it's massive. Such a, such a big piece of the puzzle. You know, that BDNF um, that we produce from our muscles, it goes into our brain. You know, you, you're finding composure through breath, CO2 tolerance through breath, diaphragmatic breathing, but then you add in, you know, what you teach uh, and help your clients with in terms of movement strength. And I did it socially, so I do it in a small group. There's four or five of us every morning, six o'clock, at the gym. No, sorry, not every morning, three mornings a week, I should say. But, Love but you're in there three mornings a week. Um, so you're getting both hits. You're getting the social hit and team, which is, you know, has, has a hormonal effect on us. Um, and then you're actually getting those benefits from exercise and movement. So that was number one. Then overlay recovery amongst those three days. So cold and cold exposure. So cold exposure is not so much recovery, but it's on my recovery days. Um, and so my recovery days are three minutes in an ice bath, but I'll always, prior to doing that, I'll be either in a sauna, bath now. Um, they're both sympathetic dominant there, but they're, you're not actually moving <laughs> with either of them. So they're hormetic stresses, essentially, but um, they have some great recovery, circulatory benefits, um, Hormetic stress um, produces that dopamine effect uh, from ice in particular. So yeah, there's lots of good things going on with both of those. Uh, and another recovery day, I'll do, I will do a breath, breath work session. Um, just but I only do that once a week. So because I'm I'm doing breath all the time because I'm noticing it, um, and now I just notice it without. It's almost become subconscious now. Um, that. Subconscious, though, I do notice it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then I'm walking, and you alluded to that already. So on a Sunday, I walk 10, 12 Ks. Um, I wear a breath belt <laughs> when I do it because I'm trying to get strength into my diaphragm. All right, real quick, funny you say that. So when I was training for an ultra marathon, um, I was uh, getting a lot of cramps around like mile like after a marathon, like mile 21 to 27, when I was training, started getting way too many cramps. Uh, and I was like, dang, what is going on? I hydrated, you know, I took all my electrolytes, I'm constantly hydrating, I feel good, and my food is solid. And then, uh, so that happened to me so many sessions in a row, maybe five sessions in a row. And I was like, dude, it's your breathing. So I bought a belt, a waist strap tight to wear around my belly button. And every time yeah. I had a cramp coming on, I would breathe deep to stretch that sucker out. And what do yeah. you know? It was my diaphragm that was cramping up on me. It wasn't, a, I thought it was an ab muscle cramp, um, but it wasn't. It was actually my diaphragm. And when I was breathing deep into it, I allowed it to stretch again. And then I, the only way I would know I was doing it is if I was pressing against the belt. I love that. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's great. So, you, you know, you can overlay different stuff with that uh, 10, 12K walk. You wear a breath belt. 
it's all nasal breathing in a walk, um, you know, uh, unless I'm walking with someone, which is not often. And then I even go light, light nasal breathing with the breath valve whilst walking. So you're trying to get these layers in there, essentially. Um, and then on Wednesday, I'll do a, a 6K walk at lunchtime while I'm at work. Um, so walking is a big part of it now for me. Um, and probably every second week, I'll do a, a dedicated, what I would call intermittent altitude training type workout. So that's, that's essentially uh, interval training. But I will put in there um, certain amounts. So if I've got a one minute or a 50 second interval, I'll do the first 20 seconds with breath hold, exhale, breath hold. So skipping, exhale, breath hold, skipping for 20 seconds. Still got 30 to go, for example. I'll come back into nasal breathing, finish that off. And then I'll have normal rest, then I'll go to the bike, and then I'll go to the rower. Um, I might do a circuit like that. Um, and then you can incorporate kettlebell swings and things like that in there with breath holds. And all of that's just... Puts you under pressure for sure, but it's building that CO2 tolerance. So I throw throw the one of the, probably once every second week. Um, I would do that type of workout as well. Um, yeah, so movement, all of those stresses, noticing my breath. Um, I've just started really getting into journaling, probably in the last so only in the last two months actually, and I found that really good. Uh, I, I couldn't do it. Prior, but I've actually built my own journal. So, so I know I go in there and now it just becomes habitual. Okay, right. What are my intentions for the day? What am I grateful for? I don't have to go into three things I'm grateful for. I just sprite one. Um, you know, what's what's your deep work today? What do you, what's going to take deep work and focus to do today? It could be a blog post, for example. Um, yeah, and I just put down what, what did I do? Movement, what did I do? You know, hormetic uh, stress. What did I? What am I doing for recovery? Could be reading, could be meditation. I'm not a big meditator. I, I tend to use breath when I do meditate, um, rather than you know that, those forms of meditation where you go into the mind and watching your attention and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, there, there's just there's a whole heap of things. Yeah. That's great. Listen, that all sounds, that sounds pretty badass schedule. Um, your training, just cause I'm Mr. Health, Fitness, Strength, Conditioning. Uh, what are you doing right now for your training? Um, you did say you were doing some cannibal swings, all that stuff. So, and you said it was in a group. So you're doing like strength circuit training, um, some yeah. barbell movements and stuff. Yeah, no, definitely. It's probably more orientated towards strength, um, than conditioning. So I, I do a bit more conditioning myself, but well, we have elements in there, in there for sure. But yeah, I'm 52, so I've really got to concentrate on that. Uh, not concentrate, but I've got to be conscious of it and apply myself through strength training, you know, bone density and muscle wastage, and all those sorts of things that you teach right now. Um, I've got a great trainer. Oh, he owns the gym. He takes those group sessions. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're right on it. Across the full body workout, um, I'm, I'm not – in the gym doing shoulders and arms on one day and then legs on another and you know so on. that's not the way I personally operate. Yeah. So um but it's great. It's enough. It's it's enough. Um I recover from it and it keeps my energy at the right level. How long have you been, uh, how long have you been engaging in the strength training now? Uh, well, I've been doing that, you know, I've done that for a long time. But then when I was um, dysregulated <laughs> for a long period of time, I would, I'd go in and out of it. And, you know, I got to, one of the things that triggered me, I went to the gym one day, I was just actually walking around the gym going, what am I going to do now? Yeah, what am I going to do now? And I'll go over there and do a few of those. And that's a sure sign that, you, you know, you're not, you're not quite with it. Um, you know, gotta get, get intentional. And I, I love someone taking it away from me. They just do it for me. I walk in there and he goes, right, this is what we're doing. I go, perfect. Let's go. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so um I actually made a, a post about this the other day, uh, about how 
training, if you don't have the motivation to train by yourself, one of the greatest things you can do for yourself is find a group where you can train with other men uh, because yeah. of the motivation, the accountability, and the energy. Um, so you work out in a small group. How many people are in it? And is that something you experience? Motivation, accountability, and more energy as opposed to training by yourself. What's the experience like for you? Uh, you're just sharing the experience. You're, you know, there's always a high five at the end of every every um, session. Um, it's just become part of it now. We're all putting the equipment away. So it's like a, a team-orientated thing. And it actually just grounds you to start the day. Okay, we're like... This is a real team orientation that's going on here. So, yeah, but um, that's that's probably the main part of it, actually. Um, you know, are we are we comparing ourselves to each other? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, you know, you just tied up in getting through what you're getting through. <laughs> so you're not going to worry about anyone else. Uh, we just try and help each other. Yeah, for sure. We've got one guy who brings in this beef jerky he makes, which is amazing. Yes. We have a bit of at the end. Uh, I sometimes might talk about helping out with breathing, um, just small scale type, you know, a couple of minutes. Um, then, you know, we just roll it. You know, it's a good team, good team side of things. Yeah. That's so. the best. That's the best. I love that. The camaraderie, you build relationships. Uh, it's, it's like the one hour or uh, 45 to 90 minutes where, you know, you kind of unplug yourself from the world and you just get to, kind of be like kids again where you remember growing up in your backyard with your buddies and you weren't really thinking about school or whatever you're just thinking about playing wiffle ball or whatever it's kind of like the same thing when you go to work out in a group you're just thinking about the workout and hanging out with the boys um and i'm really glad that that's become such a positive part in your life because it's one of my it's one of my favorite sessions of the week is the men's group uh there's something about it i just i absolutely love it how many sessions a week do you do I'll do three. Three three strength and conditioning. Yeah. yeah. Is it always the so, same dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It tends to be the same people turning up. We've had we've had a few come and go. Um, I've been going a couple of years now. And uh there's there's two of us that were the first timers, we're still there. So uh, but it's you know, I'm not um it's got nothing to do with motivation anymore. Sam, it's it's about just how you live. No, you, I just choose to live like this now. So motivation is, it doesn't really come into the picture, which is a really weird construct uh, for me because I'm like everyone else. I'm being I'm motivated to do that. I'm motivated to do this. And with this part of my life, that's not it. That's got nothing to do with it. Yeah. So that's an interesting concept because I believe the same thing. I think motivation gets people off the couch, uh, but it's purpose yeah. that keeps them going. You know, so with this whole stress well thing going on, um, and what what are the big plans coming up that, you know, because you're working hard. So I would tell the people, you know, what, what's coming up for stress well? Um, how could they reach you for stress well? And, um, and and anything that you have in the works that you want people to know about? Yeah, so it's stresswell.com.au, uh, Aussie, Aussie base. Um, it's the .au with a little, little country down the bottom of the world. <laughs> Easy. Uh, so essentially I do two things. I help people one-on-one -on -one, uh, and I do education for teams. And that's just, it's as simple as that. I have some specialty um, educational programs I do for psychologists and the relationship between respiration and psychology. Um, and we go deeper into that, so the amygdala and how it relates to the chemoreceptors and studies that have been done we look at, you know, Andrew Huberman put out a study not long ago. We look at that in more detail. Um, yeah, so so that's a specialty. But generally speaking, I have those two things that I do. What What's big for me, mate? I, you know, I'm going to be reflective on this. This is another challenge. And something we haven't spoken about either. Um, challenge is actually now more appreciated in my mind. So, you know, whether it be a hiking challenge or whether it be a business challenge, which this is, you got to appreciate it takes time and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to have a lot of people say no and um, you're going to doubt yourself. Um, but it's all part of the journey, I guess, and, and it's part of getting there. So, you know, I'm, I'm still in those early stages, but some good things I've 
you know, running his programs for psychologists is a big win. Just been asked to speak at um, uh, a wellbeing summit, which is more for corporates and organisations. And they have a whole range of wellbeing topics and speakers and things that they, you know, they'll cover off. Um, so that's that's exciting. That's towards the end of the year. Um, but I'm just here to help people. You know, we didn't live a conversation. Um, you know, that's that's a step in the right direction. It's progress. That's what we that's what we all want as humans. Evolutionary. We're designed to keep moving forward. So I'll keep moving forward. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. And people can find you on LinkedIn at Andrew Gemmel. Right? Is that how you pronounce it? G. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, G E double M E double L. But I've also got a um, a LinkedIn stress well page. Oh, awesome! You have yeah. a page for it. Awesome. So they can just search yeah. stress well on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, yeah. And I just put posts on there three or four days a week, just on different elements uh, of life, I guess, essentially, um, pointing towards us looking after ourselves. But I have a question for you. Sammy. So it's been one way. How, you know, you're, you're in New Jersey there. A lot of your clients are Wall Street, I'm guessing, or a number of them are. Close, um, yeah. So I have, I have a mix, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you don't have to be on Wall Street. You can be under pressure and an entrepreneur in a lot of other places. You can you don't have to be an entrepreneur. You can just be you know, living, living your own life, still uh, trying to look after yourself. What are you... How do you find it with some of these people that come to you when it comes to how they're living and optimizing themselves and getting more out of life? It's a great question. So like you said, you can be stressed anywhere, especially now, like the people who were working, you know, in New York city are just working remote now from New Jersey or anywhere really uh, just because ever since COVID happened, um, nobody wants to go back to work. And that adds an even bigger stress because I don't think people should be in the house for that long Uh just with themselves or their family. I think you need to go out you need to work or at least temporarily get out of the house. But um, I'll tell you what, it's, it's hard to get somebody to change. And um, kind of like your experience where you had to go through the pits of hell uh, and struggle a little bit until you were like at the breaking point and you said, I, something's got to give. I noticed that that's normally when people step into my office. So I'm normally seeing the people in the middle of their breakdown and helping them build on those new habits. Uh, it's only for few and far in between where somebody comes in before that happens and they're like, yeah, I can potentially see this happening to me, see this breakdown coming and I want to get ahead of it. So the way I attack it is by helping them understand if they're continually doing the same things that they're doing now, they're going to continue to get the same results. So we add in baby steps in the beginning, like you did, like you had said, like um, I give them information. I try and educate people as best I can, like you do. And then I try, I try, what's the one thing we can do right now. That's not going to overwhelm you, but can add to a positive change in your life. And we build on that. Um, that's for the people who, who come in to see me who have already broken down. They're at their end's wits. They're overstressed. They're overweight. Their doctor just told them they're, they need blood pressure medications. Um, and so those people, uh, it, it's hard. For, they have the motivation to change, but it's still hard to, to make that change. The only thing that even got them to my office was a catastrophic event or something negative that happened to them. Um, I wish I had the answer on how to get people to prioritize it before that breakdown happens, I just don't know if that's possible. Yeah, I guess that's the survival instinct, though. Like, you know, we're born to survive. Like, we're species. That's what we're here for predominantly. And that's the point where someone says, ooh, I'm not surviving here, really. That's their version of it anyway. I'm not surviving properly or optimally. Um, but someone who's not in that state survival doesn't come into their thinking as much i guess so they don't go and seek out help to survive like like you're providing that might be yeah i think that's definitely part of it and then there's another part of it too which i notice with so many clients over the past decade um and it's tough to break people out of this and maybe you've experienced this with some of the clients that you work with it's the fact that some people prefer 
and it's it's a wild phenomenon. It, every day I think about this and it just blows my mind more and more. Some people prefer the security of known misery, right? So they prefer the hell they're living in over the unknown, the uh, security of unknown misery, right? So people like, because they're comfortable in, in what they're doing already, even though it's causing them stress, they'd rather stay there because they know what it is versus venturing out and trying something new because they're scared of what may happen or what what's out yeah. in the world. And that phenomenon just like, it sticks with me day in and day out because people really do choose to stay inside that misery because of the unknown. When if they just took a chance, they might see something amazing on the other side. You have any experience with that? People are just so holding on to who they are. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's the paradox of certainty, isn't it? So, you know, we're all looking for certainty, keeps us safe. Um, I guess, you know, as a simple construct, it keeps us safe. And I think a lot of people are just saying, yeah, it's hurting, but I know I know what this environment is and I'm safe. You know, nothing, you know, if I stay here, I know what I get, essentially. Um I think that comes into it. Uh, and then the other part that comes into it is we, we just live such a comfortable life. It's crazy. You know, we're buying things, we buy food, we can buy movies, we can buy a ride, um, you name it, everything. Um, I can I can buy a book and have it here within you know, a couple of hours if I wanted. Um, you know, we, we it's all constructed not to move. And so we get really comfortable in our life. So I think that's another part of it as well. Mm. Huge. Yeah. Te technology is, uh, look, it's, we, we've got a love for what it has done for us, for sure. And, and we can still keep using it for lots of great things. But it is a massive, massive challenge. I think personally, it's it's huge. You know, we look at these levels of anxiety that are going up, looking at people getting burnt out. Um, technology is not helping that burnout uh, construct at all. And technology is definitely not helping younger people who are with rising rates of anxiety because that's they're just staying up there in their sympathetic nervous system. They're hooked. Yeah. So I think I think technology and comfortableness comes into that. Uh, what you've alluded to as well. It's like another layer to it. Staying in uncertainty and where they're at. Yeah. I think so. And and you're so right. I mean, but you mentioned the kids. So my father, he's worked in the school systems for. 25, 30 years now. Um, he's actually retiring this year. Congrats to him. He's turned 60. He's, he's the man. Um, but he even proposed an idea to the school board at one point saying, because right now, I don't know what it's like in Australia. You can uh, speak on it. But right now, kids in high schools and middle schools, they can have their phone on their being while they're in class. Is that the same thing in Australia? Yeah, it's mostly the same thing. Yeah. So my, uh, my father proposed to the board, like, this is insanity. Kids can leave their phone in the cubby during class and then they can get it while and look at it while they're walking to their next class or whatever and then put it in a cubby again. He said kids used to do that. Like I, I used to do that when I was growing up in elementary school, middle school. We had cubbies. We would put our stuff in the cubby and only take out what we needed for class. And my dad, uh, for the past like um, five years, he's saying how kids' attention spans and how um, – their grades are just going down and down and down and down. And because, and there's a lot of drama associated, a lot of bullying going on, text messages back and forth during class time. And it's distracting kids from the class. Uh, so I think what you said is, is, is so true. And, and, you know, you have a little bit more experience than I do because um, when I'm on the gym floor, I don't have my phone with me, but you ran a business where you were probably on the phone all the time. You know, what do you do now to, I'm curious because, now that I'm doing more online training, I see myself on this phone more. What do you do now to make sure you, you're not overwhelming yourself? You know, what are the limits you've set for yourself? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm like everyone else. I get sucked into it, you know. Um, guilt, guilty as charged. But uh, I do I do consciously try and do a few things. I don't have Instagram, Facebook. I don't go on Facebook very often at all, um, nor Instagram really. But I don't have any of those apps on there. Don't have a LinkedIn app on there. Um, so that's number one. Number two, I, I need to work on emails. I actually 
I do not need to check emails or check emails. I know, I know that, but I, that's a um, that's going to take a bit of work for me, and I'm sort of going to have to figure out what I do with that. You know, I've even contemplated just taking the full Outlook off my phone and only check emails on a laptop, PC. Um, so you know, I, I just try and put things in there which don't uh, draw me to my phone, essentially. But habitually, we just you know, we I see people walking around just holding their phone now. Yeah. Um, just, just holding onto it, it's like wow, that's that's like uh, there's a real connection now, like a physical and mental connection with the phone. I see it on the train, I see it. I'm driving driving the car, and notice people walking down the street and they're holding their phone with them. Now they might have just texted someone, obviously, um, is a, is an outcome, but I also think it's a bit deeper than that. I think it's yeah, we're we're deep. We're deep inside. <laughs> I think it is too. I think people have a radar for their phone. They put it down and they're they're nervous about it when they walk away from it. Like they're like making sure they know where it is. I I think you're hundred percent right. Um, it's a wild phenomenon and it really does I mean, you're gonna <laughs> stress well is gonna be overloaded because the phone causes so much stress and anxiety, man. People are uh-huh. not for their phone, man. And you, you, know, you got news. News is just coming at you all the time now. So but this morning, I um, breakfast breakfast time here. So I, I was in this really bad habit of switching it on just see five minutes. Uh, about two months ago, I said, "What am I doing? Like, why am I actually doing this?" One, the news is not changing, um, and if it's if it's really bad, I'll hear about it. But <laughs> it's mostly bad um, anyway, so I don't really need to watch the news. And so turning it off, I noticed a massive difference. No, noticed and, and still would notice now a massive difference. Even five minutes, like or nothing. If you have nothing, you, you're, you know, your head is it hasn't taken the opportunity to grab hold of you for the day. Um, that that five minutes of news. So yeah, news is a big part of it too, man. It's uh, crazy, but you know, I would hate to think what growing up was like back in my day if social media was around because I've seen both sides of it. And I look at it and go, oh, I, but we're not our children or that generation. So I also really respect that. It's how they communicate and connect and stuff. So so you've got to give some kudos to that, but it's the lack of awareness of what else it's doing. That's That's the... The big question mark. Where where will we be in fifty years? Time with all this stuff going on. We've only been going at it for ten. It's going to be crazy. When you say it like that, that we've only been at it for ten, it's 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 crazy to think about that. The iPhone really did come out not that long ago. I think the mm. first, what was the first one? Two thousand and six or seven? Like the first iPhone? Was, yeah, seven. But, but essentially, that was really started with email, and it it was the uh, music. So it was, uh, yeah, replacing the iPod. And, and then I think around 2012, it really exploded. So, you know, they started to really amp it up. People jumped into the app world. And, uh, and think yeah. 10 years later, like these things are insane. Uh, insane. Productivity apps. There's a paradox there. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, mate, but I love what you're doing. And, um, I think that age group that you, you're looking after, which I'm in that age group, I'm 52, um, that can be such a great turning point. I think yeah, there is a book written, I can't remember what it's called. It's The Happiness Trap or it's got happiness in there somewhere. But 48 statistically is when we are the most unhappiest in our life. I think yeah. does that book have, it's, is it have a blue cover on it? Do you remember by any chance? I think well, one I've seen is yellow, but it could have been two different versions yeah. of it. So I'm thinking about one. I have a. I don't think I have it with me anymore. I, I think I gave it away. Um, but I think I know what you're talking about. For some reason, I'm picturing an elephant on it. For some reason, we have to yeah. fact check this at the end. Oh, the happiness hypothesis. Is that what you're talking about? There's been a few of them. Um, I thought it was a happiness trap, but I could be wrong. I don't know okay. actually. There's I a can't remember Yes, but um, and. Yeah, but anyway, the the principle is at 48, this is when you know you might be like I was in a business, 
you might be uh, have three kids in private school and you're, you're at the top of the charts of all those fees or something. Um, you might have become disengaged from what you've done as a career and you want to change it. They came up and statistically that was sort of around the age. But once you get through that, I think there's a real opportunity to go, okay, there's a degree of acceptance here and you know, life, life is life. I've got a lot of good things. I have I've got friends and I've got my health and got all those other things. Um, so what you're doing, mate, at 50s is really starting to maximise that turning point. I think it's great. Yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, the big focus for me is men between the ages of 35 and 55. Of course, a few stragglers, you know, 30 or 60. Um, but when when you think back, I know obviously you can't change anything. I can't either. Things happen. Do you think it would have been more beneficial for you um, to incorporate? you think the breathing work really like would have made a huge difference back then before uh, things got pretty sour? Um, or do you think you were in too deep already? Like, Let's say um, you're not 25 before you start your career. You're like 37 or, or you know, 45. You're kind of in in the the heat of it. Uh, where do you think that would have put you? Just to give it to a, a perspective to somebody who's listening to this right now, like, oh, I'm too deep in. I can't worry about that. You know, how much benefit do you think it would have gave you back then? Loads, loads cool. of benefit. Well, we'll end on, end on that. I want you to go in a little bit. We'll end on that. Um, I think that's a good way to end. Look, simply because breathing um, is a, a link for your consciousness between your mind and your body. So if you do the five minutes and the five minutes, which I mentioned earlier, um, and, and you have, and you, you can use it in a meditative type of way, you're just feeling the air come in through your no, um, nose and out through your nose. At the end of that five minutes, you'll stand up if it's done properly, and your level of consciousness is much, much higher. So um, that's that's also, and that's probably the biggest principle I take away from that. So if I did that 37 versus what I when I did start it, that flows into so many other things in your life. So, um, you know, conscious of how my recovery, have I got genuine recovery here? Am I just, you know, working and working and working? Um, that's going against every metabolic and psychological construct in terms of your energy that you can think of. So breath brings that consciousness in, changes everything. I, I have it stacked, to use one of James Clear's um, terms, atomic habits. I have it stacked all of these things I spoke about earlier because I got a hold of my consciousness and um, expanded that. And then it gave me the capacity to go, right, I'm going to engage that and I'm going to engage this practice and I'm going to do this. It, without that level of consciousness, I wouldn't have done it. And breathing, breathing brought that. Yeah. Amazing. Guys, this is Andrew Gemmel from Stress Well. You can reach him on LinkedIn at his first name or Stress Well, correct? That's the one. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, Bob. I really oh. appreciate the conversation. Yeah. Of course, of course. And guys, listening to this, don't forget, if you have any questions uh, for me, you can reach out and send an email to stronggenscoaching at gmail.com. The motto here is get strong and stay strong. And if you haven't, please leave a five-star review and share this episode with two friends. Andrew, cannot thank you enough, man. Have a great day. Yeah, you too, Sam. Can't, can't thank you enough as well, mate. And stay strong and uh, I will be voting for you, mate. Don't worry. Yeah. Talk, Thanks, I'll talk brother. to you. Yes. Thank you, brother.